0: Well, get ready. (laughs) Uh, So before we get started, um, I want to say that before we read the passage, talk about anything, uh, today we're going to continue. We're going to go back and read a passage that we talked about two weeks ago. Um, And there's just no way that I can say everything that needs to be said about this passage. And there's no way that this is going to satisfy all the questions that you're going to have after we hear this passage read. No way to get that done, even if we had five hours to do it. So uh, what I want to do this week, um, on Wednesday night, starting in September, I do a Wednesday night Bible study that I'm trying to get the the staff, we do it on Wednesday nights on Zoom from 8 to 9 p.m., right? And I'm trying to get the staff to let me call it Wednesday night, late night BS. (laughs) It's just late night Bible study, I don't... But they, but they laugh like that, and they look, I don't understand the problem. What are you guys thinking? <laughs> anyway, so, um, so that starts in September, but this week on Wednesday night at 7.30, I'm going to open up that Zoom. So I want to invite the whole church, anybody who hears this message today, I just want to invite you to come, and we'll just have a, more of a discussion, a little more of a Q&A, so we can talk about a lot of the things that we weren't able to get in this morning. Does that make sense? So we'll send that link out by email. You guys will find that on the website. So if you have time, Wednesday night at 7.30, join me online. We'll talk about this some more. So uh, having said that, I want to say that uh, this, what you're about to hear, this might be the worst sermon that you've ever heard. <laughs> um, and I say that because I'm not even sure that it's a sermon, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, there's definitely teaching in it, and I hope that it's not a lecture, but I'm, I'm honestly not really sure what this is. And the reason for that is that this is a really challenging passage to preach. It's really hard to understand. It's really hard to apply it the right way to our daily lives. And we know this because throughout history, the church has very often gotten it wrong. Like the words that you're about to hear me read, um, they have been used in the church to justify slavery, to subjugate women, to validate selfish parenting, these words of Paul have been used by the powerful and the privileged to maintain their power and privilege. And that is what happens when we don't understand the context of what we're reading. When the church doesn't carefully apply good Bible study practices, we easily, seriously misunderstand what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, and there's no way that we're going to accurately apply it to this life today. So we've got to correct some of that. Today, we're going to hear more about three specific relationships. Uh, in the sermon uh, two weeks ago, we started, and we'll continue that today, uh, the relationships between husband and wife, between father and child, and between master and servant. And when you hear about these relationships, you're going to be tempted to think that those relationships are the point of the passage. But I'm telling you, they're not. Those relationships are not the point. They're illustrations. They're illustrations of something much bigger. They're illustrations of something beautiful. Okay, you got all that? All right, so let me pray and then uh, say a couple more things and then we'll read our passage for today. Father, uh, pray that you would guide us and guard us, be with us as we walk through some difficult verses, as we wrestle uh, with the fact that it's really not that difficult at all. It's beautiful and it's good news. Um, And it does apply um, to our daily lives even here and now. So open up our minds, our eyes, our ears, our hearts that we can receive uh, this word, that it would transform us from the inside out, not just be a bunch of information that we didn't know before. I pray that when we go from this place that we would be actively looking for how this is to be lived in our daily lives so that we can not just be a people who say the truth, but we do the truth everywhere we go. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So we need to accomplish a couple things today, if this is going to be anything at all. Uh, The first thing, we need to situate this passage in its historical and cultural context. So we'll do that really quick. Uh, The second thing we need to do is we need to ask some questions, but we need to ask the right questions in the right order. And we'll talk about how to do that. Uh, The third thing we need to do is we need to deal with a dirty word. That'll be fun. Um, And then the last thing we need to do is, of course, we got to see how this applies uh, to our daily lives. So uh, the first thing, a little history. In the ancient world, and we find this in the writings of Aristotle, we find it in Greek and Roman culture, there's something referred to as the household code. Now, you try saying that with me really fast. Household code. Say it. Did anybody get your tongue? Yeah, it's complicated, right? So I'm going to mess that up at some point. Forgive me, all right? But it's known as the household code. And everybody in the ancient world knew of these and abided by one of them. All right, so there's one of my professors, Daryl Johnson, he explains it like this. He says, every society has codes of conduct, expectations of the way persons behave in different relationships. Household codes in all first century societies involved three sets of relationships. Guess which ones? Husband, wife, father, child, master, servant. In most cases, the husband, father, and master was the same person. For most people, their home was also their place of work. So these relationships are relationships that are all lived out under the same roof. So a couple important things. Uh, these ancient household codes, they were written and addressed to one person. Guess who that was? The husband, father, and master, the man. The code was written to him to explain to him how he should run his home and his business. It's really important. The second thing, these codes were really specific. They had instructions about who can and can't do what in the home. um, Instructions about how to manage finances and household economics. What was acceptable behavior between all the different people in the house. uh, Who's supposed to do the cooking, the cleaning. Instructions about what the husbands can expect from their wives as far as sexual expectations were very specific instructions and they were all addressed to the man, to the husband, the father, and the master. These codes, they were written in cultures and I'm sure that there are exceptions to this, but historically in these cultures, women, children, and servants, they were nothing more than property. They were subjects in their own home. They were not counted as people And this is not only true in Greek and Roman society, it was even true in Jewish households. There's a theologian named William Barclay. He explains it like this. He says, the Jews had a low view of women. In his morning prayer, a Jewish man gave thanks that God had not made him a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. In Jewish law and custom, a woman was not a person, but a thing. She had no legal rights. And neither did children or servants. In the ancient world, the husband, father, master had the legal right to subdue his wife by whatever means he saw fit. He had the legal right to beat and even kill his disobedient servants. The legal right to beat and even kill his own children. He owned them as if they were property. The ancient codes were really simple. Wives, children, and servants were property owned by and subjugated to the man. That's just the way it was. So Daryl Johnson goes on to say this. He says, then Jesus Christ entered the picture. Then the spirit of Jesus began to fill people of the Jewish, Gentile, and Roman worlds. And just the way it is was turned upside down. Paul dares to say that when the Holy Spirit fills human beings with his life, these relational dynamics change and there must be a new household code. So Paul writes one. Now, if we're gonna understand this new code that Paul writes, we have to just use some really simple Bible study tools and I wanna use this time to model it for you so that you can use these in your own personal study and we have talked about this before. It's just four simple questions. That you can ask and you should ask of any passage in scripture that you study from start to finish. When you hear what I'm about to read, whenever I finally get around to reading the scripture, you're going to have a ton of questions. But you have to remember that the Bible is first and foremost the revelation of who God is and what God has done. So we have to start with the right questions in the right order. And the first question is who is God? Any passage you read, that's the first question you ask. What does this passage tell me about who God is? The second question, what has God done? The third question, who are we? And the fourth question, so what? Can I tell you, I'm just going to be critical of most modern Bible studies. Do you know what they do? Literally the exact opposite. Maybe they start with us, the so what, and then we'll do a little detail about God and what He's done but most published modern Bible studies do the exact opposite. We gotta fix that. We can't do that anymore. I really believe that these four simple questions, in that order, you apply them to any text, to this text today, then I think we can actually understand what's happening. Okay, does that make sense? All right. so let me read the passage to you. This is uh, Ephesians 5. I'm gonna start in verse 21. I'm gonna read a little, then I'm gonna skip into chapter 6. Uh, if you're reading along... Here's chapter five, verse 21 in Ephesians. Says, subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. And if you're reading along in your own text, you might be thinking, Chad, you left something out. In my Bible, it says, wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands. That's your English Bible. That is not what it says in the Greek. The Greek says, subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be their husbands, ought to be to their husbands in everything. And remember, if anybody's ever preaching this and they stop that right there, what do you do? You stop listening. <laughs> because what comes next is what matters. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present himself to the church that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless and then skipping to chapter six verse one Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may turn out well for you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive this back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them. And give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And it's a lot. And like I said, the temptation is to start asking a million questions. Like why doesn't Paul just abolish slavery altogether? What about children and wives whose fathers are not trustworthy or even are abusive? Like there are a million questions and these questions do need to be dealt with. But that's not where we start. When we start with those whatabouts? When we start with those questions, that is the easy road to wildly misunderstanding and then misapplying these passages. Okay, so where do we start? We use our questions. The first one Who is God? Think about the passage I just read and ask yourself Who is God? Just asking that simple question. Completely reframes the entire passage. Who is God? In verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. If we first ask, who is God, then we see things more clearly. Paul is telling us that in Christ, God is the husband. Now add to that what we know from the rest of the scripture. We know that God is our Father. And we know that as the creator and the author of life, God is also our master. God is husband, father, and master. Now remember how I said earlier that in the ancient household codes, the husband, father, master was usually the same person. Paul's adopting this framework and he's doing it to remind us that in the person of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the true husband, father, and master of every person who has ever lived is God himself. Now, whether we all accept that or not is a different story. So that's who God is. What has God done? What has he done in the person of Jesus as husband? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. He loves us. He has loved us. And not the shallow, like, I really like the way you make me feel, like kind of emotion that our culture has come to call love. Love you know that's not real love he has really loved us the ultimate expression of that is giving his life for us and not just on the cross but stepping down from eternity into this world as one of us he gave it all up is real sacrificial love what has God done as father Paul quotes the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, which he says is the first commandment with a promise so that it may turn out well for you and you will live long on the earth. He's quoting the Ten Commandments, which Beth walks us through earlier. And notice what he says. He says, of the Ten Commandments, this command to honor your father and mother, it's the first command that comes with an explanation. <laughs> it's the first command that answers the question why. Why? All the other ones say, just do this. This one tells you why. And how appropriate that the command that's given specifically to children assumes that the children are gonna ask what? Why? (laughs) And instead of saying, because I told you so, God offers a real explanation. And it's a promise. If you honor and obey them, things will turn out well for you and you may live a long life <laughs> in your own self-interest. Kids, obey and honor your father and mother. As a father starting with the people of Israel and now including us, the entire story of scripture describes God as a provider, a protector, a comforter, redeemer, a sustainer. This list goes on and on and I don't need to quote specific passages to prove those characteristics because that's literally what the whole Bible is describing. And this Father God does not provoke his children to anger. He brings us up with discipline and instruction. He tells us how this life is meant to be lived. What has God done as our master? Look, when we're first introduced to God in the garden in Genesis 1, he's a worker, he's a gardener. And he made us in his image, so he made us to work. At first to to guide and to guard his good creation and now to work for the good of the cities in which we live. And as his image bears, he expects us to do good work no matter whom we work for here on earth because we're really working for him. And because our work is a reflection of who he is. And as our master, as the boss, as the great CEO, God is not manipulative or threatening He is not harsh or abusive. He does not take wild bonuses while the people working really hard can barely make ends meet. He doesn't show favoritism because we are all his image-bearing servants. We are his workers. Do you remember what Jesus did right after he got up from the table on that last supper before he was arrested in the garden? What did he do? Yeah, he got up and he had a towel around him and he knelt down and he washed his disciples' dirty feet and he dried them off. Forgive the He-Man reference, but the master of the universe, any 80s kids will get that, but anyway. The master of the universe showed us what it means for him to be master by getting down on his knees and washing their feet. In many ways, culturally disgracing himself so that he could show them what it means to be a master. Like, can, you, like, can you see, just going through that, can you see that this passage is first and foremost about God? It's about who God is through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is a husband who loves us, a father who does not frustrate or exasperate us, but teaches us how to live. And he's a master who serves us. Like the image that should be fixed in your mind as you reflect on these questions is just, it's the cross. And this passage points us directly there. So do you see why this is where we have to start? It reframes everything. If you don't do the work we just did, you will never understand what this passage is about. Because all of that finally now makes sense of the last two questions. Who are we? We are God's servants. We are his children. We are the spouse that's invited to accept and receive his grace and mercy and love and protection. We are servants and children and spouses who are invited to submit. And there's the dirty word, right? Nobody likes that word. Does anybody like being told to submit? Nobody. It's a dirty word because it's a dirty word because we've perverted it. We've misunderstood it and we've misused it. We turned it into a weapon that we use against each other so that I can make you do what I want you to do. That word is not a weapon. In scripture it is a beautiful illustration of God's love and care for us. It's this Greek word, hupotasso, and it literally means to stand under. Not to stand over, to stand under. And there's a little play on words. You can't understand the love of God as husband. You can't understand God as father. You can't understand God as master unless you're willing to do what? Stand under him. Like Nobody likes this word submit, but it's what we're called to do. So instead of rebelling because we don't like the way a word sounds, we need to consider what we're being asked to submit to. And what we're being asked to submit to in scripture is the truth that we are loved, that we are accepted, that we are bought with a price, that there is a ceremony and a feast that's being prepared for us by our husband who has promised to protect us, to provide for us, and to care for us forever. So Paul is just saying, hupotasso, like, surrender to that. Submit to it. Accept it. Understand God's love by standing under it. Just receive it. All that love and care, let it surround you. Let it embrace you. In Jewish weddings, they stand under this canopy that they build. Do you all know what the canopy is called? It's called a chuppah. It comes from this word. It's a symbol of the protection that God places over this new couple as they enter into their new lives together. This passage says this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. Like Paul is using this model of these ancient household codes, he's taking something that the culture around him knew. And he takes this tool of the culture that has been used to oppress and subjugate people and he turns it on its head to make an even deeper point. This is not just about husbands and wives and fathers and children and masters and servants. This is first and foremost about God's love for us, our acceptance of his love and our obedience to his way. But it is also about the way that we live together. Which brings us to the final question, as always, so what, right? I think today maybe there's a better way to rephrase it. Um, What if our relationship with God was the model for our relationships with each other? Like what if we were given one another as a way of practicing the kind of relationship that we're gonna have forever? Now do you see what Paul is doing with this passage? Like Go back with me to these ancient household codes. Um, Aristotle, the Greeks, the Romans, who did they write to? You can say it, it's okay. The man, the husband, the father, and the master. When Paul writes his new code, inspired by the life of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit, in his new code, who does he address? So he addresses the husband, the father, and the master, but only after he first addresses their wives, their children, and their servants. And I'm telling you, it is the first time in history that has happened. When this letter was read in that church for the very first time, it is the first time somebody stood in front of a congregation, in front of any group of people, and not only addressed wives, children, and servants directly, but addressed them first. I'm telling you, the room must have shook it was wildly turning things upside down. It immediately, the first time it was read, immediately at a point in human history, the power dynamic was turned upside down. In that room, in that church in Ephesus. Because by addressing women, children, and servants first, do you know what Paul did? He gave them a choice. He invited them into a particular way of life. By giving them a choice, he's affirmed their humanity. He's given dignity in a culture that offered none. And Paul's new household codes, he doesn't give specific instructions like the ancient codes did about uh, who manages the finances, who does the cooking and the cleaning, about meeting sexual expectations. He doesn't talk about any of that stuff. Do you know why? He doesn't need to. Because if we have trusting, mutually submissive, loving relationships, y'all, we can work all that out on our own. And we can do that in our own homes. We are human. Humans are messy. These relationships will always be messy. So he does give some guidance. But when he does, notice that the weight of responsibility always falls first on the husband, the father, and the master. He says for wives and children and servants, yes, stand under the love and care and protection of your husband, but do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. And then to the husband, the father and the master, he says you are to love them as Christ loves his church, which means you are to be the first one in the home to sacrifice on their behalf. Like when I think about this, just in my life as like as a as a father, have I in my life have, as a dad have I yelled at my kids? Be quiet and go to your room because that's really what was best for them. That's what was right for them. Or was I just tired and wanted some peace and quiet? Like have I refused or been stingy about funding their activities because that means there's less funds for mine? <laughs> Like, as a father and a husband, I am to be the first one in the home to sacrifice myself on behalf of them. And Paul is saying that if I will do that, then that is somebody who's worthy of trusting and worthy of standing under their leadership. Praise Jesus, we don't have masters today in our culture. Hallelujah, thank God, right? But we do have bosses. So bosses, knowing that your workers have just been told that they are to obey and to serve you well, they are to work hard for you, Paul says, do the same thing for them. For people in positions of power, give up this culturally accepted attitude toward them that you can be threatening and abusive. Be the first one to serve and sacrifice for them and then they will trust and they will stand under your leadership. Paul was not affirming or justifying slavery. He was unraveling it. What happens when a slave is all of a sudden treated with the same sacrificial love that a husband and father gives to his wife and children? What happens? They are no longer a slave, they're now a part of the family, they're a member of the household. Paul started this revolution in the home and in the workplace because that's where real, historic, transformative change always begins. Maybe this is a sermon. I feel like I'm preaching. (laughs) And like what he started 2,000 years ago, that is what informed generations of Christians that eventually led to people like William Wilberforce and others who fought and died to abolish slavery. People like Martin Luther King and others who to this day continue the fight for the rights and dignity of all people. People like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Stanton who fought for the dignity of women and their right to vote. In times and cultures where this kind of social transformation was finally possible, guess who led the fight? It's always been Christians. This passage is first and foremost about God's love for us our acceptance of his love, our obedience to his way. It's also about the way that we live together. After Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he said, do you understand what I did for you? You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so because that's what I am. He said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set before you an example that you should do for others as I have done for you. you know, we can't understand God unless we are willing to stand under him. And I'm telling you that we can't truly understand each other as long as we're still fighting to stand on top of each other. We can't understand each other until we're willing to stand under one another. And quickly, just to end this, this is how two theologians have applied this. Uh, Leslie Newbegin is a missiologist. He said it this way. He said, the one who alone is our master has proved himself the slave to everyone equally. He laid aside his life for all of us. And the debt to which we owe him is now to be discharged by our mutual submission to one another in loving service. Our neighbor is the appointed agent authorized by Jesus to receive what we owe to the master. That's freaking brilliant. Listen to how Daryl Johnson says it. He makes it a little more applicable. He says, Think of the people in your life. The people in your life are the appointed agents authorized by God to receive the love that you want to pour out on Jesus. You want to love Jesus well? Love your neighbor, your wife, your child, your employee. Husbands and wives are the appointed agents authorized to receive the love they want to pour out on Jesus. Parents and children, employers and employees, neighbors, enemies, each is the appointed agent authorized to receive the love that we want to pour out on Jesus. What if our relationship with God was the model for our relationships with one another? I need to say one more thing before a couple announcements and I just, I'm just talking to the men. So women and kids, like earmuffs, don't listen to this kind of serious, but also not. So look, um, I'm just saying as a father and as a husband, like what I just preached is overwhelming to me. Like the idea that I'm called to love my wife and my children and the people here that I work with, the way that Christ loves the church, and I'm gonna tell you, that's not hard. As our friends at Steiger Ministries say, that is not hard, it is impossible. The only way it happens is through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And the only way we get any better at that is if we work through this together. I fail at this more times than I succeed, but I'm better at it than I was. So just to the husbands and fathers, to bosses, to people who have employees, I just want to tell you, I do not want you to be overwhelmed by your failures coming in. I want you to have hope that you can do what you're being called to do even though it is impossible because God's spirit is a gift that's offered to you. And I want to tell you that Mark, myself, Roland, this entire staff, we are 100% invested in doing this together and walking through this together. So starting this fall, probably not until October, but starting this fall, we're going to do some stuff just for men. We'll do an early morning thing. We're trying to find somewhere off campus that we can meet before work. We'll try to find something late at night as well. It'll never be perfect to find something that meets your schedule. I want to be bold, and I want to ask you to change your schedule if you have to. Because It matters. It matters that we get together and figure this out, figure out how to better love our wives, our children, and those that we work with, because that is what we're called to do. So I, I mean that to, like, I'm not an encourager. So sorry, I mean that to be encouraging. I'm not preaching this as somebody who's figured it out. I'm preaching it as somebody who fails at it over and over. But by the power of the Spirit, I am getting better. I have some models to follow in my life. And if we will take the time and take this seriously and work on this together, it'll be better for our homes, it'll be better for our community, it'll be better for our society. Amen? Does that make sense? Fair enough? Okay. There's a lot more to say about this. I know, like I said, there's a ton of questions. So join me on Zoom Wednesday night. We'll send the link out to you at 7.30 and we can talk about it some more. All right? Let's pray. Father, grateful as always for difficult passages and grateful for the time and the patience uh, to work through it. I'm grateful for a people who are trying to understand you better. And as we grow, learn to understand you better, what that means in the way that we treat and live together. So we pray as we continue to wrestle with this that that's exactly what would happen that we would understand you more by standing under you, by submitting to you, and that we would be brave enough and courageous enough to learn to understand one another by serving and standing other under each other. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. amen.